Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. If you are able, could I invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's word? Uh, One quick note, some of your translations will uh, say 72 of Jesus' followers are in the story. Some will say 70. It just indicates that there's a a little bit of a lack of clarity in the original language. So I'm going to go with 72, uh, but don't get stressed out if your text says 70. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But Whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. Uh, There is a word of God for the people of God today, and I'm titling this message, Sent with Shalom. One of the tensions that we find running through the Bible is that between God's love for the world and the world's persistent rebellion against God. The love of God is so great that God's Son took on our humanity came vulnerably into the world for our salvation. And then that same world crucified the Son of God. Followers of Jesus will often feel this tension. We love the world like God does, and we understand the sinful rebellion which exists in each of us. I don't think you have to be a Christian to observe this dynamic. For example, if you're like me, this season's crisp, colorful uh, leaves, the beautiful air, the sharp blue sky lifts your spirits. Just today, Maggie said, I can't remember the last time we had such a beautiful fall. There is so much of this beautiful world to love. And as each one of us have experienced and maybe is experiencing today, At any given moment, this world can break your heart. Sickness, injustice, depression, and more are all regular parts of this life. In Luke's gospel, Jesus has spent most of his time in the northern region of Galilee. Soon he will head south to the southern region of Judea and into the city of Jerusalem. 
But before he leaves Galilee for one last time, Jesus sent his followers ahead of him to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. And because this rebellious world so often rejects its creator, Jesus prepared his followers for hostility, lambs among wolves. I think these verses exemplify that old tension, love and rejection, a world that is both beautiful and broken. Now, I want Jesus to resolve that tension. I don't particularly like it. I give him a couple of options. I want Jesus to either abandon the world to its rebellion and gather his followers into a safe retreat where we can all be protected and just rest easy. That will work for me. Or or I want Jesus to align the entire world with his perfect will so that we can live freely and rest easy. Spoiler, Jesus doesn't do either of the things I want him to do. Instead, and here's what I hope we'll see this morning, Jesus sends his followers into a hostile world with his peace. Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace. This is a basic characteristic of following Jesus. We do not huddle together, protected from the world. Neither can we live unreflectively within a rebellious world. Instead, Jesus sends us with his peace into this aching and stubborn world. He sends us to our families, our jobs, neighborhoods, schools, anywhere we have the least bit of influence with his peace. A couple Sundays ago, we saw how the church is a salvation declaring priesthood. The church is not primarily an institution and the work of the church cannot be left to its pastors and ministry leaders. Amen, Pastor Michelle. Amen. Hence the sign up sheets moving through the building today. We are all the church together. Our identity is communal. It is us, ordinary women and men, saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Now, here at New Community, we describe our identity like this. We are a reconciled and reconciling people for God's glory and neighbor's good. And that identity is supported by our three values, grace and truth, unity, and the kingdom of God. You'll have to visit our website to read more about these. But but these values are the desires, are the, the loves that the Holy Spirit grows in us so that we can live together as a reconciled and reconciling people. And how is it that we grow in our love for grace and truth, unity, and the kingdom of God? Well, there are countless creative ways that we each nurture these loves and desires. And as a church, we've landed on three practices which can help us grow in these areas. Ministry, outreach, and community. 
Last week, Pastor Michelle preached on the practice of ministry. This morning, with the help of this passage, we'll look at the practice of outreach, and then you'll hear from Pastor Michelle again next Sunday about the practice of community. Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace. I want us to think of outreach this morning as sending. Outreach framed by this passage is not optional for followers of Jesus. It is a natural part of what it means to follow our Savior in a rebellious world with a message of God's peace. So how does he do this? How is it that Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace? I want to suggest three ways that we can imagine this today. First, he sends us with one another. Can you say one another? He sends us with his abundance. Can you say abundance? And he sends us with faith. He sends us with one another. He sends us with his abundance and he sends us with faith. So Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace by sending us with one another. Maybe you notice that when Jesus sends the 72, he sent them in pairs. All of these women and men had spent time with Jesus. They, they knew Jesus. And, and now they were being sent to represent Jesus, to exercise Jesus's authority. In verse 17, just outside of our passage, uh, the disciples come back and they say, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. They had been with Jesus so they could exercise the authority of Jesus when Jesus sent them into the world. Do you know that you cannot represent Jesus if you have not been with Jesus? That if we are going to accurately represent the Savior, you and I need to regularly, intentionally be with the Savior. And I think this is one of the gifts of Jesus sending them in pairs. Because all by ourselves, we can get confused, can't we? We can get turned around. We can get upside down. But there is an accountability, a godly, encouraging, hopeful accountability that comes with companionship. Amen. Uh, When you have a sister or a brother who you are with, you are less likely to get things twisted. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And he also says that I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Now, of those two things, the plentiful harvest and the wolves, Guess what I spend a little bit more time thinking about? Uh, maybe it's just me of little faith, but, but my mind and anxieties go to the wolves. It's easy to focus on the hostility, isn't it? In the very early months and years of church planting, I spent a lot of time talking to myself. Uh, Because there weren't a whole lot of other leaders. There wasn't a leadership team yet. There wasn't a ministry staff yet. And so I had a lot of conversations with myself. And what I found is that those conversations ended up being about a lot of wolves. (laughs) The things that I felt afraid by. The things that seemed impossible to me. And I can remember when that started to shift and Carlos Dodson was the chair of our first church leadership team. And then Pastor Michelle came on, 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 on staff and then others came on ministry staff. And all of a sudden I had some other people to talk to. And I started focusing left on the, less on the wolves 
and more on the abundant harvest. I'd suggest, too, that this is the difference between doing evangelism by yourself and being evangelistic in community. Many of us feel a pressure when we think about sharing our faith all on our own. Am I going to get it right? Am I going to say it right? What if I offend that person? Now, some of you have the gift of evangelism, and you don't think about any of that stuff at all because the Spirit has just graced you with a gift, and women and men come to love Jesus just by being around you. Thanks be to God for that gift. Others of us, though, we, we need to be reminded that we are sent together, that our gospel witness in word and deed is exemplified in the way that we live and love together. Amen? That this is how people come to see and picture the kingdom of God breaking into our world. We started our church nonprofit for a lot of different reasons. The primary one being that there were friends and partners in our community who invited us to launch a nonprofit to more effectively serve alongside those friends and those partners. But one of the reasons that we started New Community Outreach was so that we could all be sent together in our community. We, we didn't want individuals to feel like, well, how, how, how do I serve our neighborhood and what are the ways that I can get involved and how do I represent? We wanted a vehicle where we could all do this together. You see, we started the church intentionally in 2010 without any outreach ministries. We had Sunday gathering ministries. We had discipleship ministries. But we intentionally as a church did not have any kind of neighborhood-facing ministries. And what that forced us to do was to make friends really quickly in our community. We had to find out who were the people who were doing good work and how can we support them? How can we be a part of it? So we made friends with other churches and other nonprofits and just other folks in the community doing good work. And, and soon we were partnering and collaborating with others in our community doing the work of peacemaking right here in our neighborhood. And one of the things that resulted from that over time was, was realizing that many of the other uh, church communities in our neighborhood were doing outreach, which is to say proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, word and deed, but they were doing it together. They had organized themselves in such a manner that the entire church community was being mobilized as a gospel witness and presence in the community. And we said, well, we should do that too. <laughs> And new community outreach helps us do just that. I want to make a quick note that on the last Sunday of October, because it's a fifth Sunday of the month, we'll gather here for musical worship. You won't see any chairs uh, set up because we're going to sing, and then we're going to be sent together up to Jackie Robinson Elementary School to serve for about an hour and a half or two hours, putting the garden beds to rest for the winter. So I know most of y'all don't get dressed up for church on Sundays anyways, but especially don't get dressed up for church on the 30th. Come with some gloves, come ready to be outside, to do some work, to pray for our community as we're, as we're serving together, maybe to strike up a conversation with one of our neighbors. This is what we do as a church. We are sent with one another. Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace, and he sends us with one another. Second, he sends us into the world with his peace by sending us with his abundance. Now, if you know the story of Jesus, you know that right from the beginning, Jesus was opposed on a regular basis. In fact, in Luke's gospel, in his own hometown, Jesus was almost thrown over a cliff for saying that non-Jewish people would be more open to his message than his own neighbors in the town of Nazareth. 
That's all well and good. But then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, oh, you think it's just me? (laughs) No, if they do it to me, they're going to do it to you as well. And so in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. And then towards the end of the gospel in chapter 21, Jesus says again, you will be hated by all because of my name. Hostility comes with following Jesus. But parenthetically, we need to acknowledge that it is not just hostility that Jesus faces. There are women and men who welcomed Jesus when they met him. A quick survey of the chapters in Luke before our passage finds that there was a demon-possessed man who welcomed Jesus. There were many sick people who welcomed Jesus. There was a paralyzed man who welcomed Jesus. There were some tax collectors who welcomed Jesus. There was a Roman military officer, a widow whose dead son Jesus raised to life, a a woman with a publicly sinful reputation, another demon-possessed man, a religious leader with a sick daughter, and a woman who'd been sick for 12 years and ostracized from her community who all had no problem welcoming Jesus. We need to remember that no matter the sinful, rebellious hostility in our world and in our own hearts, we can welcome Jesus. Amen? Uh, Did you find yourself falling into that old pattern of sin again this week? Remember that that sin is not too great to keep you from Jesus. Did trauma interrupt your plans and your priorities again this week? That trauma is not so entrenched in your life as to keep you from Jesus. Amen? Did patterns of generational dysfunction stir up those old anxieties and reactions? That familial dysfunction is not too emotionally embedded in your heart and soul and mind as to keep you from Jesus. We could go on, couldn't we? The, the, the shrinking balance in your checking account, the regrets about your past and the fears about your future, the headlines from around the corner or around the world. None of it is big enough, powerful enough to keep you from your savior. As the hymn says, no power of hell and no scheme of man could ever pluck you from his hand. Sinful hostility of the kind which runs through our world and our hearts, is never so great as to keep you from the love of God. Somebody say amen if that's good news. So when we welcome Jesus, Jesus then sends us to proclaim that same welcome, to proclaim his peace. Now let's think about peace for just a minute. Because my hunch is that when most of us think of peace, we are thinking about absence. We are thinking about the absence of the thing that is keeping us from feeling peaceful. Our version of peace, most of us, most of the time, involves something stopping. War, gun violence, or just the stress of our own lives. We think if that thing stops then I'll know peace. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of life. 
But the, the thing is, is that Jesus's version of peace is bigger than that. Uh, drawing from uh, his Jewish tradition, Jesus would be thinking about peace through the lens of the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is never absence. Shalom is presence. Shalom is health. Shalom is prosperity. Shalom is abundance and flourishing and enough and then more than enough. Our starting point is absence. God, just take this away from me and then I'll be okay. But God's paradigm is very different. It begins with plenty, abundance, more than enough. I was re-watching the Black Panther this week, and I, I think we can catch a glimpse in the difficulty of imagining shalom in that movie. <laughs> because in the rest of the world, people are working for peace. There, there is hostility shot through. But then in that first scene, especially, and some of you can picture it, when, 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 when the Black Panther flies into Wakanda for the first time, and he says, I never get tired of this. Do you remember? And, all, and that's shalom. There's abundance. It's it's not just a lack of something. It's the abundance of everything somebody needs to flourish. You didn't know when you said Wakanda forever, you were making a theological claim about the goodness of the creator of the universe. Jesus sends us not just proclaiming the absence of strife. Jesus sends us proclaiming the abundance of God's goodness. And of course, we know that there can be no shalom without the Savior. In this life, we can seek peace without Jesus. Many do that, and we want more of that. Amen? We need the absence of, but as the people of God, we need to understand that we have access to the creative abundance of the creator. So when the disciples enter those homes of those towns and they proclaim shalom, they are not simply offering a vague spiritual platitude. They are not simply offering a culturally acceptable greeting. The followers of Jesus proclaiming shalom in those homes are making a claim about the entire universe and its creator. Abundance, flourishing, health, prosperity. Jesus says something interesting about that moment. If a person of peace is there, your peace, your shalom will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Let me slow down here a little bit because I think we might struggle to picture this, to believe this. If you have given your life to Jesus... You carry the shalom of God in your body. The shalom of God is just in you. I think some of us picture the peace of God like an accessory. Like something we can pick up or put down. Like something we we, we forgot where we left it. Like, 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 where did I put my cell phone? 
when I'm talking on it. Maggie, have you seen my sheet? You're talking on it. Oh, right. We picture shalom as something that can be lost. Peace is something that can be set aside. If you have given your life to Jesus, the shalom of God is just in you. Uh, let me try to help us out with a metaphor that's going to be a bit of a stretch for me because I am not the superhero Marvel Universe expert that some of you are. Uh, but it is my understanding that there are two different types, at least, of superhero in these uh, superhero cosmologies. Can we call them that? I know some of you watch these movies like that. You're getting meaning out of these things that's kind of going right over my head. But, but, but one of these kinds of superheroes gets their power from outside of themselves. They, they, they've had something implanted into them that gives them super strength or ability to fly. Or they just have access to, to technologies that the rest of the world doesn't have access to. Their power comes from outside of themselves. And then there is another kind of superhero who for some strange series of events has fundamentally had the, 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 the very nature of their DNA changed so that their power comes from within. Warren, am I, am I, am I close? Am I, am I close to getting it right here? Both superheroes are effective, but friends, followers of Jesus are far more, far more like the latter than the former. Our power does not come from something we can pick up or have taken away from us. We have been fundamentally changed at the deepest level of our being when we said yes to Jesus. So that the peace of God is not something that we can grab onto and forget and lose. The peace of God is just in you because you are a child of God. You move in the power of God's shalom. You are sent into hostility with peace because you are fundamentally a person of peace. Now, some of us this morning are struggling to go where God is sending us. I know some of us this morning, we're like, God, where are you you sending me? Where do we want me to be? Okay, good. Keep praying that. God's going to show you that. But I... There are others of us who know the answer to that question. (laughs) We're not praying, God, where are you sending me? We're we're saying, God, why are you sending me there? Why are you sending me, God, to address that painful thing in my marriage? Why are you sending me to, 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 to address that generational stuff in my family of origin? Why do you keep sending me to that person in my workplace? Why that assignment, God? There are people more qualified, more educated, more experienced. Why are you calling me to that assignment? What you see when you think about where God is sending you is hostility. You see wolves. You see dysfunction, inequity, sin, and you cannot imagine yourself bringing peace into that situation. And guess what? You can't. You can't bring peace into that situation. But what if you are already a person of peace? What if the favor of God already rests on you? 
What if the righteousness of Christ already clothes you? What if the same power which raised Jesus from the dead already pulses through you? What if the same spirit which hovered over the emptiness and the vastness of the cosmos before calling all of created life into being, what if that same spirit of the living God is living in you? What if the harvest is really abundant? What if God is not interested in just lessening your lack but calling forth abundance and flourishing in your life. What if the blessed life that Jesus proclaimed on that Galilean hillside generations ago is available to you right now? Let let me ask you to get real practical for a minute. Bring to mind the place, the person, the assignment that you have been resisting Because you can't imagine bringing peace to that place. Some of you are going to have to work at that for a minute. Some of you are like, get out of my head. Get out of my head. I'm just going to pretend like that's not there. Bring it to mind. Bring it to mind. Now let me ask, how does God see that thing? How does God see that place? How does God see that assignment? What abundance does God see? Where is the kingdom of God breaking into that situation? Can I ask an even better question, I think? How does God see you? I dare you today to choose to see yourself the way God sees you. See yourself, as Paul says in Ephesians 4 and 13, walking in the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See yourself clothed from head to toe in God's abundant grace and mercy. See yourself speaking shalom into some stuff, not because of your amazing peacemaking abilities, but simply because the Prince of Peace has taken away all of the hostility of your sin and made you a person of peace. How does God see you? And with that vision in mind, how does that change the assignments you've been resisting. How does that change your emotional disposition to that person who you've just written off completely? To the addiction that's running rampant in that particular line of the family. How how does God's vision, not just of your situation, but of you, fundamentally, at the deepest level of your being, a person of shalom into every room that you find yourself in, every table you find yourself sitting at, every assignment that you have given to you.
Jesus sends us into a hostile world with his peace. And he sends us with abundance. Somebody just thank God right now for his goodness, for his abundance, for his generosity. Hallelujah. Last one. Jesus sends us into this world with his peace by sending us with faith. How do you feel when you know you're being sent into a hostile situation? Imagine those, those 72 followers for a moment. They're like, we're good. We've been with Jesus. We, we, this is awesome. We've seen Jesus do some amazing stuff. Now we get to do that amazing stuff. And oh, by the way, Jesus says, I'm sending you like vulnerable lambs among vicious wolves. Oh, hmm. I think there's a, a pattern when, when, when Jesus sends us. We, we know that, that, that Jesus is sending us into something, and it feels scary. It feels out of our experience. It feels like it's too deep, it's too much. And but, 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 we, we say yes. We say yes, and we, and we step into it, and, and, and guess what? We're okay. Uh, we're not overcome. Uh, we're not defeated. In fact, God has kept all of his promises to us. And it's amazing. And then... God says, now I'm sending you over here. I said, that, that's too much. Now that's scary. That's frightening. I'm going to be overcome. And, and, and then, then what do we do? We, we, we step into it. And, and what happens? Is it too much for God? Is it over? What? No. God comes through again. And I've had conversations with some of you over the years. And you're at that point where you're like, I, I know I need to, but I feel so afraid and scared. And some of you say, Pastor, I feel like I should have already learned this lesson. And I want to say, don't be so hard on yourself because it it might not be that you haven't learned the lesson of God's faithfulness. It may be that God is just calling you to step into situations which require more faith. And, And for some of us, we find ourselves on the edge of a precipice that we could not have even imagined. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like if God had called us to that thing when we were back here, we would have been out. We'd be like, we would be in the corner, shaking, crying, sucking my thumb, like, 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 like way too much. But Jesus calls us to this. And we're like, oh, oh, God is good. Oh, I didn't know that this is how he was going to do it. Wait, what? You want me to say what? You want me to go where? With those people? No, you know, you know my history, God. You're not going to call me to revisit my trauma. Wait, you, you, you are, <laughs> but I, but I might, I might, I might drown if I do that. I might lose a sense of who I am if I do that. And then what happens? We step there. Hold on a minute. Wait, God, you're good enough in this place too. You're, you're big enough in, in this place too. You're you're more than enough in this place too. So don't be so hard on yourselves for feeling that sense of worry and fear creep up on you. The only reason that you can feel that here is because you said yes to God back here and back here and back here. Be encouraged today that God is still calling you into deeper and deeper waters of faith. Somebody say amen. Amen. How do we keep saying yes to God? 
as he calls us in this way. We trust him. We trust God. No, notice that there's two times when Jesus tells the, his followers to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. The first time is when the town has welcomed them. Oh, we're happy to see you. We've set out a, a table, a banqueting table for you. Come sit and eat with us. We want to hear what you have to say. And Jesus says, proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. And then the second time, it's the opposite reaction. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want to know anything about that. We don't even want you to stay with us. What does Jesus say? You, you kick the dust off your feet. You keep it moving. But before you leave, what do you do? You proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. Notice that the message does not change regardless of the circumstances. Because the, the fundamental nature of reality does not change based on our experience of that reality in any given moment. We as followers of Jesus do not move through this world primarily through our emotions or our experiences or even our sight. We believe something fundamental about the universe, that there is a God who is good, who's created it all, and whose kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. And so that allows us to trust our God in all circumstances and situations. Spiritual maturity is choosing to trust God no matter our experiences. Zach, you better come on up because I'm going to preach way too long if I, you are helping me really good today and I appreciate that very much. I want us to kind of move into a bit of a, a reflective moment. Some of us, as I mentioned, are standing at the precipice of being sent again. And, and we find ourselves afraid today. Uh, you, you thought you were past this feeling, past having to wrestle with God in this way again. Your faith feels too small to you today. And, and I want to suggest that, that one of the best things we can do in that kind of moment, maybe the best thing, is something that Scripture tells us to do time and time again, which is to remember. To remember God's faithfulness. To recall to mind previous seasons where God was calling us to something that felt impossible. Re -re Recall your fears in that moment. Recall God's faithfulness in that moment. The kingdom of God, which was present to you then, is present to you today. Nothing's changed about God's faithfulness. Nothing's changed about God's goodness. Nothing's changed about God's abundance. If you've been around for a little bit, you know that this church has some big outreach opportunities ahead. It has some, some ways, some big ways that God is sending us. New community outreach has, has grown significantly uh, during the pandemic. You're going to hear an update from, from Sonia next week about some of the exciting stuff that God is doing through, through that organization. You know that we have been praying for the opportunity to plant a church. And God is doing some exciting stuff in that area as well. We have been seeking intentionally, prayerfully for a facility for new community outreach and our church. And when I tell you that I get scared about something, that's the one. I've been a church planter. I know what I'm, but I've never bought a church building before. I start to feel scared about that, if I'm honest. 
God is calling us to some big outreach opportunities, some big experiences of being sent. And my hunch is, is that if God is calling our whole church to that, he's also calling many of you individually to that. That, that, that's just my, that's just my gut. That if that's kind of the season that our church is in, that it's very likely that many of you find yourself in that same place. It just seems to be kind of what God does, right? There's a consistency between our individual experience and our corporate experience. So, so I'm going to, I want to take like three or four minutes and ask you to reflect on some questions. If you're a note taker, maybe you want to jot some of these things down. If you're just kind of a, a, a intellectual process or however you want to do this. But I want to lead us to reflect um, personally on, on the moment that we're in. So here's the first question. When was the last time God sent me with his peace? So I want you to call to mind the last moment where you were kind of standing on the edge of something scary and you knew God was sending you with his peace. Try to bring to mind something very specific. Like, like, like right now, try to bring that to mind. Okay, you got that in your mind? Now I want you to, to re, re remember with your emotions. What did you feel? What were the worries? What were the anxieties? What were the questions? What were the doubts as you stood on the edge? Try to, try to get back to that place even emotionally. try to remember how did you experience God's faithfulness when you said yes? I'm guessing for most of us, it's actually very specific and practical and tangible. There was material provision. There was physical healing. There was emotional peace. There was a move from loneliness into community. Call to mind specifically God's faithfulness to you. Okay, so we have remembered. Now let's pull it forward into this moment right now. How is God sending me with his peace in this season? How is God sending you today? Try to make it specific. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. It could be literally one conversation. But how is the Spirit of God sending you in this season?
Jesus sends all of us, every one of us, into this world with his peace. And he sends us with faith that the kingdom of God has come near. Imagine again those 72 of Jesus' followers. They've been with Jesus for a while. But how many of them feel truly prepared to now be sent by Jesus? They've seen the hostility that their Lord experienced. And he's promised that they're going to experience some of the same thing. But then they go, they obey, they are sent. And what do they find? They find that the shalom of their Savior has advanced ahead of them. They find that despite the predictable pushback, there are women and men of peace eager to welcome them. In other words, they find that the peace of Christ has preceded them. And not only that, the presence of Christ has so filled them that they cannot help but bring the shalom of God with them into every town, every home, and every room into which they step. How surprised, how joyful must the 72 have been to discover that Jesus never sends us without coming along himself. So sisters and brothers, may we, as we say yes to being sent with the peace of Christ, experience that same surprising joy. We are sent with Jesus' peace because no matter where we are sent, we never leave Jesus' presence. Amen? Spirit of the living God, thank you for the word of God, for the people of God today. Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, we thank you for for being sent to us, not just with a word of peace, but the very embodiment of shalom. Though our sinful hostility had separated us from our creator, you took that hostility onto yourself and you put it to death on the cross. Remind us today that there is nowhere you will send us that is beyond the bounds of your shalom. In a world groaning under the weight of its rebellion, send us together, full of your abundance and fueled by faith to live your peace for your glory and for our neighbor's good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me invite our prayer team, folks. If you're here today, if you could just come uh, position yourselves uh, around the, the sanctuary.